This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast in Melbourne on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via the World Wide Web at rsn.net.au and on your mobile phone or tablet via the RSN Racing and Sport app. Of course, this podcast is available later on through all your favourite podcast platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, the iHeartRadio website and app and at our website, WAR. FRadio.com. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to be chatting with Irish AFLW footballer Katie Heron, who played for the Western Bulldogs in the 2020 season. Also on the way, Weemstown VFLW coach Penny Kula-Reed and St Mary's captain in the NTFL women's competition, Isabel Porter. But first, the latest women's footy news. We begin our latest women's footy news with a small little note that at the time of recording on Wednesday morning, there were rumours circulating that today the AFL were going to announce a tweak to the AFLW fixture due to the current COVID-19 border situation between WA and Victoria, in particular what that would mean for the Fremantle Dockers and the West Coast Eagles. The latest information on that will be available via our Twitter account at WARF Radio. Let's have a look at the results from the practice matches from over the weekend. First of all, the one that everyone was talking about, the Adelaide Crows and GWS Giants. Adelaide, two goals, 21-33. That is not a typo. Defeat the GWS Giants, 2-1-13. Allen and Woodland with goal kickers for the Crows. Todd and Bennett's goal kickers for the Giants. The big news coming out of that game was to do with Bridge Stack. Uh, saw the game end early. She was uh, stretched off the ground with uh, paramedics obviously protecting her spinal area. There with some serious concerns. She has been released from hospital, diagnosed with a stable fracture of the C7 vertebrae in her neck and obviously will be sitting on the sidelines and incredibly doubtful that she'll be taking part in the 2021 AFLW season. Out of that incident, Ebony Marinoff was forced to front the match review panel as of Tuesday night she was found guilty and suspended for three weeks. Many in the football community felt that was too harsh and at time of recovery Recording, the Adelaide Crows were assessing their options going forward. Let's hear also from Chelsea Randall. She's been appointed as the solo captain of the Adelaide Crows with Erin Phillips stepping down from the co-captaincy. Chelsea talked about running out for the first time since doing her knee last year. Knee is great. Knee is going really well. Uh, We played a trial match yesterday and, uh, yeah, I felt like I haven't missed a beat. So um, I'm obviously a little bit older and I'm feeling a little bit sore, but, um, yeah, the knee's uh, held up really well and... Um, I'm really grateful to the people that have supported me along my um, journey. The likes of Alex uh, McVeigh, our physio, and Warwick Raymond um, have really been a big support to me throughout my rehab. We also got to hear from the GWS Giants' Pepper Randall and uh, what a last month it's been for the GWS Giants uh, with the whole side having to relocate from Sydney to Albury. And then they had issues trying to get to Adelaide when they were flying through Canberra. Their flights were cancelled and they were forced to spend a night in Canberra. Yeah, I think prac is, you know, it's, it's important to go into prac is with a mindset that you want to be brave and try different things and try all those things you've been practising over pre-season. Of course, you've got an opposition and there's a scoreboard, but ultimately, you know, it's it's your chance to do all that, those, you know, maybe more brave and dangerous things that you've been wanting to 
to try all year with almost no consequences except maybe the spray you'll, you'll cop afterwards. But So I think, yeah, it's, it's a great learning experience and, um, yeah, not necessarily the result, but more than anything, we've, we've not had the whole team together playing together for a long time. So we'll get some awesome footage out of that and a chance to review it with everyone finally on the field together. Continuing our look at other practice matches, Collingwood 7-5-47 defeated North Melbourne 5-5-35 at Icon Park. Villado kicked two for the Pies. Malloy, Newman, O'Day, Alexander and Maloney got on the scoreboard. Bateman and Hammond kicked two each for North Melbourne. Brown also getting onto the scoreboard. Brisbane Lions took on the Gold Coast Suns up at uh, Metricon Stadium Oval number two. And the Lions 6-7-43 defeated Gold Coast 4-2-26. For the Lions, goal kickers Bodie with two and... Anderson, Arnell, O'Dwyer and Wardlaw. For the Suns, Howarth, Virgo, Ritson and Riley. The Western Bulldogs took on Richmond at Park Road Oval and the Bulldogs came from behind with a 5-goal 2 final quarter to win 6-7-43 to 3-11-29. For the Bulldogs, 2 each to Blackburn and Lachlan. Van Oosterwick and Berry also getting on the scoreboard. For the Tigers, 2 to Wakefield and 1 to Bernardi. After the game, speaking to the Western Bulldogs website, here's Izzy Grant. Yeah, it was intense. They came out very hard. Um, they had really good body on and they were, they were very, very fierce at the very beginning. So um, we were really proud of ourselves for coming back towards the end and bringing that into our game. So hopefully we can uh, start our fierceness strong throughout the season. At Icon Park, a three-goal one-to-one-goal one final quarter so the Blues overcome the Saints 6-4-40 to 5-8-38. For the Blues, two each to Gibbs and Vesio, Jones and Moody also getting on the scoreboard. For the Saints, two to Zenos and singles to Void, Patrikios and McCarthy. Unfortunately, in bad news for the Saints, they have lost for the foreseeable future defender Bianca Jacobson, who broke her collarbone. To GMHBA Stadium, Geelong 5-4-34, went down to Melbourne 8-7-55. Cock kickers for the Cats, two to Boyd, singles to McDonald, Clark and Purcell. For the Ds, two to Parry, singles to Paxman, Mithen, Hanks, Cunningham and Zanka. Here's Tegan Cunningham speaking post-match. Yeah, of course, you always like to win these games as um, there's not many of them, so you only got one under your belt. So yeah, definitely it's great to win. Uh, I think it was great that everyone got a chance to play as well, um, try some new things as well. So yeah, I think we've all been hanging out for this moment, so it's good that everyone got a Run. And out west, the West Coast Eagles 4-3-27 went down to Fremantle 5-7-37. For the Eagles, three to their new recruit, Ashling McCarthy, and one to Gibson. For the Dockers, two to Houghton, two to Duffy, and one to O'Sullivan. Speaking post-match, Fremantle coach Trent Cooper. Uh, yeah, it was really good hit out and probably what you want from a pre-season game because... A, we didn't have any injuries, which is always really important, and B, we didn't play particularly well, so it gives us a few things to work on before round one. So uh, we'll go back, assess the tape, and we'll work on a few things, but what was pleasing that we, we gave up a start and clawed our way into the game and finished it off really strongly. And all the audio you heard were courtesy of the various clubs' websites. That's the latest women's footy news. And our feature guest for this week on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne is a star of the Irish Gaelic game back in Donegal. 
Her along with Yvonne Bonner, stars over there, and it was Yvonne Bonner that got into her ear to say, maybe you should try the overball game. That led to a series of events that would see her come out in 2019, do a pre-season and represent the Western Bulldogs in the 2020 AFLW season. Unfortunately, COVID-19 has played havoc with plans for 2021, which we'll explain in just a moment's time. It's great to have on the line from Donegal, Katie Heron. Katie, how are you? I'm good, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Just to explain uh, life at the moment uh, in Ireland, you're going through something that uh, at least people from the state of Victoria experienced during our uh, winter slash spring. Uh, you're in lockdown again. Yeah, so we're back to um, a stage five lockdown here where it's only shops and pharmacies that are open and you're only allowed within a five kilometre radius of your home. So schools have been put back online, which is probably the one thing we've been kept open in the original lockdown. So they've they've resorted back to closing schools now in an attempt to to stop the spread. So fingers crossed. We'll explain how that affects uh, sport as well in a moment's time. But I want to uh, rewind the clock back a bit before, obviously, you picked up the uh, oval ball and started playing Aussie rules. What was your original Gaelic football journey like with Donegal? Uh, Yeah, so I've been playing with Donegal for 10 years now. This will be my 11th season. So it's been a a long time in the making. Um, I've played... Gaelic football since I was four years old so it's our native sport here it's kind of something you do when you live anywhere close to the countryside um, so we've come a long way with, with the girls, we're playing at the top level here now and and things have got pretty um, professional over here as well within the setup and stuff so it's a massive commitment and and it's something you kind of devote your life to um, just everything by the actual being paid part of it it's still an amateur sport but but the commitment and effort levels that are put in between players and backroom staff is, is phenomenal. So it's, it's really on par with, with everything that's going on in, in other countries with regard to elite sports. So we've been lucky enough to, to do pretty well in the last couple of years, but we're still chasing the, the big dream of winning the All-Ireland. Um, so we'll go again at it this year if, if things settle with COVID. We're, we're in pre-season at the minute, so just something to look forward to when, when everything's over. Naturally, there's a lot more running there in the Gaelic game. Can you just give a bit of an insight to how much that uh, training has changed over, let's say, that last decade from, as you said, um, it's still an amateur sport, but the willingness of the women playing that game to become increasingly more professional in their attitude towards the sport? Yeah, so I suppose when I started out, it was it was your hobby and, and you, you done it for fun. And I think it's it's become a lot more serious now where it's becoming your life. Um, the training intensities have increased massively. The whole idea of strength and condition programs and and off-season and pre, you don't really get a get any downtime. It's, it's a full-year cycle and it runs from your county season into your club season and back to your county. So the standard over the years has increased massively and the pace of the game has increased and Athleticism now is, is probably a major component, um, even over skill, whereas as years ago you would have got away based on your skill level, whereas now if, if you're not athletic, um, it's a massive downfall for you. So the standard has, is massive across across all grades, but especially in the senior level, which we're playing now. So it's, it's a huge commitment and you do you sacrifice a lot of 
your personal life and time with your friends and family, but um, because you're playing for your county, it's, you're playing for pride and you're playing for your jersey, so it's, it's a massive honour to be part of as well um, alongside that. But, yeah, there's a massive commitment in it. Of course, around the early time of you playing with Donny Gall, you also had your son, Joshua. And as we know, there's a number of mothers in the AFLW and across Aussie rules football in general. Of course, the most famous being uh, Daisy Pearce, who recently had her twins and came back last year. Jess Duffin, of course, uh, had her child um, just a handful of months ago and she's coming back after uh, missing the 2020 season. Uh, for those of us that uh, listen to our coverage of the uh, world game, they'll know of uh, Dre Casillas uh, at the New York Magpies who had her son, Atlas, and then came back six weeks later and played in the national championships. An extraordinary effort. Um, for, for yourself, um, how much of the, was there a pause in your sport uh, when you originally had Joshua? Um, yeah, well, just like that, I actually came back six weeks after as well, which at the time was, was probably a bit soon. Um, obviously, back then, I didn't have as much education around training while I was pregnant and didn't seek too much advice after um, there was a championship match coming up so I was obviously keen to play and I threw myself straight in again six weeks after um, which was fine at the time but I just wasn't ready um, I had a lot of difficulties after with my lower back and probably coming from just an instability I had after but when you when you love the game and when you're as committed as, as I was it was you don't want to miss any game and if you have any opportunity to play you will so I threw myself back in probably a bit too soon, but um, over the years I've, I've built myself back up, so nothing too too harmful came out of it. So you're obviously playing through your Gaelic football, you love it, and then around about uh, 2017, the AFLW comes onto the scene, maybe not as big as Ireland as we would expect because uh, Laura corrigan Duray was the first Irish woman, but she'd been based in Australia for a number of years. Then by 2018, Chorus Dorton comes in with GWS. It starts to make a few waves, and we see the cross-coders then begin in 2018, and they start to infect the competition, where, of course, Ashling McCarthy would be your future teammate, would play with the, would be drafted by the Western Bulldogs. Alice Considine would be signed to uh, the Adelaide Crows. And a Donegal teammate of yours, Yvonne Bonner, would be signed to GWS. Yeah, so Cora was probably the first we had heard of it um, when Cora had moved over and there probably still wasn't a massive following then from the girls back in Donegal because it wasn't it wasn't highlighted as much for us. But when Yvonne went over then, um, that's when it kind of really came on the radar that, that things were picking up for Irish athletes and obviously watching Yvonne's progress and, and tracking how she was getting on. It was, it was massive to see how much the sport had brought her on and how much Irish athletes were, were getting a chance really at, at playing professional level. So that's kind of where the interest came for me. Before that, I would never have even dreamt of, of something like that happening. It's just something that doesn't really be on your radar. Um, so it was really when Yvonne started and then the cross-coders got up and running that, that the interest kind of sparked and we, we got more exposed to what was happening out in Australia and the opportunities it might have been. So that's kind of what what got the ball rolling for me. I believe it was a conversation, wasn't it, as mentioned on the 42, that you had with Yvonne Bonner that encouraged you to actually pick up the oval ball? Yeah, um, oh, we were just talking about it very casually. It wasn't it wasn't in any way um, something that we, we had thought about it. And and it was actually her husband said, God, you'd be great at that. And it was kind of something that stuck in my head. And 
you think, God, you would love to give that a try. But obviously with my situation with Joshua, it was, it was something that I thought would never really happen. So I, I tried to put it to the back of my mind very quickly. Um, and then as time was coming close to the cross-coders camp, you were seeing a lot of a lot of stuff pop up on social media and your brain was kind of working in overdrive, wondering if something like this could really happen for you. And I suppose that's when I just took the plunge and, and sent an email to Jason, kind of querying how things would work and explaining my situation. And he was extremely helpful, obviously. Um, and he, he said, basically, he, he knew it was going to be difficult and nothing may come off it. But if I didn't throw my name in, I would never know. So... So I took the plunge and I felt an application actually the night of the deadline, um, maybe at half 11 at night and the deadline was at 12. So I just, I took the chance and and got a lot of rewards out of it after last year, then getting over. So um, it, was a, it was a big decision, but I obviously would have regretted it if I didn't take the chance. So I'm, I'm obviously glad I did. I believe if I'm correct that you actually got an inkling that the Bulldogs were interested in you even before the actual camp took place. Yeah, um, I was obviously messaging Jason then over and back just to kind of find out details and, and I actually had a, a back injury so I had, I was being ruled out of, of my Gaelic at the time and I was just coming back from that injury in the lead up to the camp so I was kind of putting myself under a lot of pressure to, to be available for the camp and, and to get myself back probably a little bit earlier than I should have been and I got a message from Jason one day I was at school that that he'd been contacted by a team and God it was <laughs> it was an extremely long day at school and I was trying to contain my excitement um, and to try and get him chatting to him properly without jumping in between lessons at school so yeah Mick had been in contact with them they'd seen some of my vision and and were interested in what they saw. So they were keen to talk before the camp actually happened, which was a wee bit of a relief for me, obviously, coming coming in with an injury. Um, but, yeah, it was a really very exciting time. And at that stage, we were still playing the Gaelic season, so it was something I was trying to keep kind of on the low down because, obviously, we were focused on our competition. I didn't want to distract from that. So it was, it was something I had to try and keep to myself for a while. It was pretty hard, given the excitement of, of what may be. So um, it was a pretty good time. It's obviously unfair to compare about uh, how Irish women, or in Danny Marshall's case, an American goes up against Australians for the first time in training. But let's talk about yourself versus other Irish women at that camp. Actually, how did you, when you look back at it now, how do you think you fared when you were going up against other applicants that were all also trying to chase a spot on an AFLW list? Yeah, I just took it. Listen, I'd been around for a long time playing playing sports at a high level, so I just took it as a normal training session, and it was nice to see girls from other counties that I wouldn't have known through Gaelic and, and some that I actually did know as well. So it was nice to see everyone try try their hand at a different sport and to see the interest that there was and the cross-coders had drummed up. So it was a pretty, um wasn't too intense. Obviously, there was the testing at the start and... Then we done a few skill sessions and played about with the ball, and it was it was interesting to see you were putting all this pressure on yourself for this one day that that could make or break your dream. So um, it was it was pretty relaxed, but you were still you were feeling the pressure within yourself to to try and do yourself justice. And when you seen so many other people there trying to prove themselves as well, it was it was intense in that way. But it was a, it was a great experience, and it was 
nice to get the feedback from the coaches that were there as well and see what might lay ahead. It was during your summer that it was announced that you had been signed as one of two international rookies for the Western Bulldogs for the upcoming 2020 season, along with Danielle Marshall, who had played a handful of VFLW games. Danielle Marshall was out of the Arizona Hawks in the uh, United States. Um, so talking about the months leading up to before you would jump on a plane and come out, um, a, how much communication is there with the Bulldogs going back and forward, obviously getting ready to prepare you for the transition to the game, and how much communication with with uh, an Irish woman that you actually have as a teammate uh, in Ashling McCarthy, who was your teammate for 2020, uh, of course, out of Tipperary. Yeah, so Ashling was actually down at the camp. She was she'd done a talk with everybody just about kind of what to expect and her experiences. So I got to meet her there, and I would have known her from playing against her and, and the Gaelic as well. So it was nice to kind of get a chat with her. And I knew at that time that Bulldogs had had their eye on me, so it was nice to know that she was there and to get a feel for her kind of experiences with it. Um, I suppose then I was obviously still playing the Gaelic season, so I was trying to keep my mind focused on that. And the excitement was kind of building at the back of my head at the same time. I hadn't really travelled anywhere. Obviously, having Joshua at 22, I, I hadn't been away. So this was obviously a massive a massive step for both of us to move to the other side of the world, essentially. So it was, it was pretty exciting for me, but I tried to keep... Um, take every day as it was just and, and play the Gaelic season and do our best with that before I really thought of of what was coming after that so being so occupied at home and having so much to do with work and Joshua and football it kind of kept me it kept me a wee bit sane and the lead up but I was obviously super excited for it and all the planning that was going on in the in the background um, the Bulldogs were great I was linked in with the strength and conditioning coach and the performance coach straight away and they got me on a program whenever my Gaelic season had finished up and they were they were aware of the training I was doing and the loads that, that I was working off back home so they were able to, to tie in nicely with that and, and make sure I wasn't kind of overdoing it given I was coming off the back of another season so there was plenty of communication there and a lot of the girls had reached out after my signing just to kind of check in and and introduce themselves, which was lovely to to have that wee bit of conversation with them before I arrived over. Obviously, it was a massive move, and they were all very supportive. And Debbie Lee was in touch um, a good bit, trying to organise stuff and see where I was living and get a lot of arrangements sorted out. So there was plenty of communication and, and getting visas and stuff sorted. So it was nice that you, you kind of felt you kind of knew them before you moved over, which was a nice way to be when you're, when you're leaving your family and, and going so far. So I was I felt well prepared and it was just an exciting build up to the journey. Before we go into depth about the logistics of moving over, you mentioned of course uh, with strength and conditioning. Can you give us an insight into the differences between Gaelic football and Aussie rules on that strength and conditioning? Um, one is the uh, running preparedness different. Is it more sprints or more longer distance running? Um, and secondly, is it perhaps an increase in weight training because you're now moving into a tackle sport? Yeah, um, to be fair, there's a lot of similarities between the two. The, with the gym program, I'd say there was that wee bit more upper body focus with the AFL, obviously, for the, the nature of the physical game. But lower body and stuff all kind of compared quite similar to what was home. So there was that extra bit of upper body strength and then a individual upper body session as well, just to kind of prepare you for that physicality. 
um, Gaelic games as, as stated that it's non-contact but there's a lot more contact than, <laughs> than people imagine um, so you still do need that physical strength but that was probably the, the biggest difference with the training um, the, the pre-season running was, was probably something I was pretty familiar with but there was a lot more high intensity running at that time of year um, during our pre-season would be a lot more kind of longer endurance based running as opposed to the interval type stuff the Bulldogs had, had me doing but I felt in really good shape and really well prepared landing over obviously you, you don't know what to expect and you don't know what level the athletes over there are at so you're always trying to push yourself that wee bit more to to make sure you're fitting in and you have all the, the base work done so it was it was good in that sense that I, I felt comfortable going over that I was in, in decent shape so let's talk about that logistic of coming over to Melbourne. As you said, you've actually got to come over with your son, Joshua. So uh, for the other Irish women, uh, some are a little bit younger as well, it's perhaps a little bit easier. They almost see it as a working holiday. Um, they're not partying up or anything like that, but it's a chance to come over and explore Australia and, and they can easily just leave work, work behind. Um, for yourself, having to bring over Joshua, I, I believe you were taking him out of school for a couple of months as well. And and how did that come? Obviously trying to find a house for, for both you and uh, and for him, any um, uh, babysitters, etc. When obviously you've got the, so many hours per week that you have to commit to the Bulldogs for training. Yeah, so there was a there was a lot to do, and obviously making the decision to go, he was obviously at the forefront of that to make sure I could make it work. So contacting his school, they were pretty supportive. Um, given that I'm a teacher as well, and that I was going to homeschool him over in Australia, they were happy that as long as he kept up with the work that, that it should work so I just liaised with his teacher throughout the whole time and she sent books and, and resources with me so that part was, was started pretty easily um, and then me was, I was obviously permanent teaching in a school here as well so I applied for a, a six month leave which the, the board very kindly gave me which probably they probably didn't have to, generally you would have to take a year's career break but they granted the six month leave given I was going to play a professional contract, so it was kind of at their discretion, which which I was very grateful for, and it, it tied in nicely. Then, obviously, with me being out of work, if I was if I was coming home and not having my summer pay, so that part worked out quite well. And then the, the babysitting issue was was probably a, a bigger one. Um, the girls obviously had offered other Irish girls had offered for me to live with them, but I didn't kind of want to burden them, so to speak, with with me and, and my child moving into a house full of Irish girls. So I decided that I'd get a, an apartment on my own. Um, I ended up over in Brighton uh, just because I was trying to find out about the area. Obviously, it's very hard when, when you know nothing about it. But And I know it was, it was quite far from Whitton, but I was told it was a, a lovely area and would be good for Joshua. And obviously, Bonnie Too Good was there. So I, I got a bit of feedback from her and knew if she was close by that it would work for training-wise. Um, and then my family were, were very keen to support me and all thought this would be a, a great idea and a great plan for them all to get a holiday. So mom and dad came over and my sister came over as well during my time there. So they kind of took up a lot of the bulk of the babysitting, um, which worked out really well. And then I have a sister who is actually, she's an Australian resident now. Um, and she was in New Zealand at the time, so she came up um, on different weekends when I was going on the training camp and stuff and, and watched Joshua, so I had loads of support. But there was a, a massive 
response um, from different Irish families and, and girls over there that I knew offering support when I landed. And there's a lot of families I met while I was there um, that were really supportive and, and really reached out, which was lovely to see like people who, who didn't even know me and didn't have to offer any help. Um, so it was lovely to see that kind of home from home and that family atmosphere of people just willing to help knowing that you're you're coming from Ireland and any of your child with you. So it was really nice and I've made a lot of friends through that and people who've supported that I've kept in touch with. So it was it was lovely and it all worked out really well and, and Joshua loved it. So it was a blessing. And of course, uh, with that suburb of Brighton, some Melburnians, uh, very tongue-in-cheek, may say Brighton because it is a very posh area, a very nice yeah, area. Yeah, I got that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every time, every time I was asked where I lived, and I said Brighton, they were like, oh, Brighton, very posh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I loved it. It was lovely. We were we were a kilometre from the beach, so it was it was perfect, um, and it was great for Joshua being so close to. Beach as well, there. So now I was, uh, I was delighted with my choice. <laughs> Just a moment before we talk about his experience out here. Um, like you said for yourself, you were able to take um, leave from work, paid leave. Um, how much of a relief was that to you? Because as much as you're on a quote unquote semi professional contract with the Western Bulldogs, um, it's not all that much money that you're being given. I, I'm, I'm guessing it's somewhere when you include the international money on top, it's something like 15, 16,000, something like that, which when you think realistically over a six month stretch and you like you said you've got to you know pay food for the both of us you've got to pay rent and you've got to you know any living expenses and stuff that you may have to look after that's back in Ireland that you're responsible for yeah so that was there was a lot of um, financial liaison going on um, I was the leave I took was actually unpaid but because I was permanent I would get paid when I got home for the summer months whereas if I got, took the career break I wouldn't have so the six months were unpaid so I kind of I didn't really look at it as a as a chance to earn money or to lose money it was it was kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity for me so if it was going to cost me money I was I was happy kind of to take that hit if I needed to. Um, it was something I thought would never happen and may never have happened again. So I, I didn't really look at the financial side of it. Um, I know people think you're going over and getting paid professionally and you're over making money, but it, it wasn't about the money for me. Um, it was about the experience of, of living a professional life and I, I wanted to exploit that as much as I could. So obviously, yeah, I didn't do a lot of homework on, on the whole rent situation so obviously living in Brighton cost me a, a bit of a penny but again it was an experience that, that I was willing to, to sacrifice that, that wee bit of the financial burden um, so I kind of took the hit on that, on that side of things but listen if I had to do it again I would, it was, it was worth it so and young Joshua almost became a little bit of a media star because whenever there'd be a photo of you, Joshua would be in there as well to talk about uh, um, both of you coming out. Um, uh, how did he, A, enjoy the Australian experience, B, hopefully he didn't get sunburned with the harsh Australian summer sun, um, and C, how did he take to the game of Aussie rules? Has that stuck with him as something that, you know, maybe later on in life it's, it's something he's going to chase up? Yeah, Joshua was definitely the star of the show. He was he was putting me on the map out there. Um, but yeah, he loved it. Obviously, it was a a worry going over that I was taking him out of school and away from from the rest of the family that he mightn't have liked it. But 
he really did love the experience. Um, at home here, my life is so busy and with work and training and stuff that we we had spent so much less time with each other at home with school and stuff that when we were over there, we had so much time together that I think he really appreciated that and you could you could tell that he, he just loved having me around so much despite being away training three nights a week. Um, so it was lovely to kind of spend that time with him and, and just see how he adapted and he was so happy just and my company that it didn't bother him that he didn't have other kids or friends to play with and there was loads of people that were offering their services again to, to meet up and to meet their children and offer that help which was lovely and once he heard Bonnie had a pool at her house that was him kind of sold he was, he was over the moon a pool and a dog and, and he was happy out so he really took it so well and even nights he would come to training with me whenever my family wasn't there and there was just so much for him to do and so many people that, that wanted to help out that it really made the transition so much easier. So the facilities there for children are are unbelievable and the parks just along the beach, there's so much to offer for kids over in Australia and that was something he really embraced. So it was, it was I was really glad that he settled in because it, it made me more at ease then to go about my business. So it was a great experience for him. Um, he did take to the football. He was in. He would come in practicing with me, and he'd have his Nathan Burke had come over to meet us at the house when we arrived, and he brought him a wee bulldog bag and uh, the kit and a ball, and he was just in his element then that he thought this was was great that he was decked out in the bulldog's colours as well. So um, he did love it, and the club offered for him to be mascot for the one of the games as well which I thought was a lovely touch and it was a special moment for the two of us my family were there at the time so it was really nice to, to be able to run out through the flag with him for that and, and that's something we'd probably treasure for a long time so it was it was lovely As we get ready to go into round one you're going through this preseason where, to be fair, every one of the Bulldogs is learning anew because a new coach has come into place. This is the first season of Nathan Burke being in charge of the Western Bulldogs AFLW team. Uh, so everyone's learning a new game plan, so that's kind of putting you almost on an even level with everyone in that aspect. Obviously, the things that you've got to pick up on is uh, the kicking of the over ball, handballing, marking, tackling, etc. Obviously, the running you've got down pat, no problems because of the Gaelic background. For you personally, what was the one thing out of the Australian game that you really wanted to master before you got out there for round one? I was probably um, adapted to the physicality, which was I probably didn't adapt until round one um, or maybe the practice matches because obviously at training, you nev- we never went full intensity that the tackles were all in and um, it was always at that scaled back so it was probably something I couldn't prepare for fully until we got the practice games and I, I got a rude awakening in, in the practice games through that so that probably prepared me most um, just that awareness of 360 you needed to, to be aware of your surroundings 360 degrees at all times um, and I, got a, I took a few big hits in the practice games which which really brought me back there. Um, so that was probably something that I, I couldn't prepare for until I, I got the games under my belt. So I was just trying to focus on my skill level. Um, the bounce was a tricky one that I still struggle with. Um, but it was just taking all those small things. I would have done a couple of extra skill sessions where I could fit them in 
just to get that competency, I suppose, if you so to speak, and have that confidence and and playing with the overball and running with the overball more so. Like you were, I was always taxing at home, everything static, doing my kicking and different styles of kicking, but never really at full pace. So you were just trying to get any wee bit of experience you could under your belt to be as best prepared for round one and try and do yourself justice if the chance did come to, to make my debut. Um, so any advice that was offered, I took on board and, and I tried to learn as much as I could in, in a short space of time. Do you recall the moment that Berkey told you you're in for round one? Yeah, I actually came across the video there the last day and I played it back to myself. <laughs> um, yeah, he called me over at training. Um, there was three of us. I think it was three of us, yeah, that, that he told that night that I was in for round one and my parents had landed for the presentation of the jumpers and it was, it was really special that... Knowing that they were coming over first was the pressure was kind of on because obviously I'm over learning a new game. There's no guarantee that I, I would be playing in round one, and I was very aware of that with Ashley coming over the year before. So um, it was lovely that I was going to have them there for that moment, and I was really, really happy when he told me. And I just thought in the back of my head that I didn't want to let him down, so I did my best and I think I did okay for someone that was new to the sport. You would end up being a halfback flanker for the uh, Western Bulldogs, playing alongside, in defence, uh, the likes of uh, Lauren Spark, Elise Gamble, Naomi Ferris, uh, Isabel Huntington. Can you describe that experience of playing in that uh, back half dozen or so? Oh, yeah, it was lovely. The girls, we had a, we had a great group, um, and we kind of we worked a lot on stuff at training. So to have those girls that obviously had so much more experience with me, guiding me along the way was was brilliant and being able to feed off how they play during training and and take on board different styles and techniques that that they were doing um, was great and the girls were great for feedback if there was any ever ever any issues the communication within the group was was really easy and nobody ever held back it was always a learning curve and they knew that I was open to any criticism. Um, despite the very positive attitude that that we do have there, I was coming off a Gaelic background where we take all the criticism we're given, and it was something that was a big shock to my system that that people didn't really criticize each other over there or, or call people out on mistakes. It was always a very positive environment and they were always trying to keep your confidence up which obviously for someone coming in who who didn't know the game was was really good because I'm sure I gave them plenty of opportunity to put me down um so it was just a lovely environment to to learn a new sport in and people were always getting around you and trying to keep you as positive as possible and make sure that you were learning as much as you could so it was great to have those girls around and I'll be watching them eagerly now with, with round one approaching as well to, to see how they've come along over the pre-season. They've been working really, really hard, so it'll be, it'll be good to get to watch them. That shortened six-game season was a tough season for the Western Bulldogs. As we said, there was a new coach in charge in Nathan Burke. It was a fairly young side as well as the side had been gutted uh, by expansion sides, taking their better players over the years. And also injuries went ravaging through 
the Western Bulldogs lineup. But still, to come away with that, can, can you remember that positive experience of round one? You're only winner of the year, but beating Nathan Burke's old side, Moorabbin, uh, St Kilda down at Moorabbin, um, and obviously that occasion where, A, you had your parents there to watch you, and then, B, the Aussie rules tradition of copping that Gatorade shower. <laughs> yeah, um, that was probably probably very special and one of the highlights there. I remember watching Yvonne's highlights of, of different games of hers and we were always watching at home wondering, God, we never act like that when we win or when we score a goal. Like It's very much in Gaelic, you score a goal and there's no reaction. You just get back and defend again. So we couldn't get over this how things were and in the Australian rules game and even the crowds like it was massive it was sort of run out in round one um, with the crowd there and obviously being um, Berkey's home club who he played for um, it was it was probably a big deal for him too so we were well up for it and it was really special to get the win in that first game and, and see how we'd come along pre-season and, and how we were training together so it was the atmosphere was just amazing and to see all the girls get around each other and and put the the debutantes in the middle to to get the famous Gatorade shower, um, it was really special. And I think someone captured a picture of it um, during that, which was lovely as well to have to have to look back on. So yeah, it was a really special um, debut, I suppose, for me. And it was it was a a great day to put into the history book. At the end of the season, you've ended up playing all six games of what has been this uh, shortened AFLW season. I want to throw at you a stat. Not only were you averaging 6.8 disposals per game, uh, being a halfback flanker or coming off the bench, your disposal efficiency was 68.3%. That's for a newbie to the game. And out of your side, that made you rank third in disposal efficiency less than a percentage point behind a seven-time Premiership footballer and veteran in Nicole Callanan, and only just behind Isabel Huntington, who would end up being the rising star of the year. <laughs> to be honest, the numbers didn't mean much to me at all. Um, I actually think I dropped my efficiency in that last game. <laughs> it was probably higher before that, and tensions were getting high in the game and I probably lost my efficiency in that game but to me yeah it doesn't the numbers didn't mean much to me coming from Gaelic we're very much drilled to keep possession of the ball and if there's a pass not on don't give it so it was very much in my head that when I had the ball I'd have to go to somebody safely Um, I think that's just the way we're brought up playing Gaelic Um, so I was never one to get the ball and just launch it to space. Um, I always tried to get it to somebody. Um, and obviously that the last game, there was that wee bit more pressure. Um, I don't know why. It was obviously a big game and we were playing the, the top of the table. And we had, not that we had pressure on ourselves, but we, we really wanted a big performance. Um, so to be, to be honest, the numbers to me don't really mean that much and, and didn't at the time. I know a lot of people have said that to me since um, but at the time I, I didn't make any deal of it. Um, I was just trying to safely get rid of the ball and, and get it into safe hands so that's just how I played the game um, but it's, it's nice to hear that that was something that obviously I had developed while I was over there and 
something that was quite important and, and people valued. So it's, it's nice to hear the way you say it now. You, you made me, me sound like I did something quite well. So I'll take it on board. So during this time, uh, particularly as we head into the last round, all of a sudden games are now being played to no visiting fans at all because COVID-19 is really starting to rear its head in the world. This is, I guess, a strange world for you. This is the first time you're ever in Australia playing Aussie rules. And now, first of all, you've got essentially uh, the CEO coming out saying your season's over. The sides that uh, haven't qualified for the new finals format, you're done and dusted two rounds early. And then, of course, as we'd know a week later, then that's it. The whole AFLW season was gone after just one week of finals. Can you recall these crazy moments of, A, the, the season being over and your reaction to that as a sporting person? And then be the days and hours into making that decision uh, with yourself and Joshua and like many of the other Irish women of, okay, we've got to pack up and we've got to go. Yeah, it was, um, I suppose, being my first year and obviously not getting to finish the season was disappointing. Um, the way the way things ended obviously wasn't how anyone had expected or, or nobody could have envisaged how it was going to end, but... That, that's how it was. So it was kind of something we had to we had to take on the chin. I think hearing stories from back home kind of made it more realistic for me. Um, at the time in Melbourne, it didn't seem as major of a deal as it, it did in different places in the world. Um, I had a sister in Hong Kong that was obviously very serious there at the time, and Ireland was getting pretty serious. So hearing stories from them kind of was what brought on a, a little bit of panic and about airport closures and stuff. So we were kind of going about our, our normal life. Obviously, we were allowed to get come into the club and still train. So things didn't really change that much for us until the decision was made. Um, and that's when, when the panic kind of started started to set in that, that things were, were getting bad quite quickly. Um, I think the fact that Joshua had went home with my parents after game in Paris against the West Coast Eagles but knowing that he was at home and the chance that I mightn't get home that was probably at the back of my mind and that was probably the, the biggest reason for my decision to, to leave when I did and um, for fear of not getting back and, and him not being with me so that was probably a major factor so the club were really supportive they knew obviously we hadn't qualified for the for the final so it probably made that decision a wee bit easier that we weren't actually going to miss out on a game. So they just said to us, listen, once the decision's in, if you, if you want a flight, we'll get the flight booked and organised straight away. So I think there was a bit of panic on, on my part with, with getting home for, for those reasons and, and having Joshua there. But it was all a, a massive rush trying to get packed and sorted and get the apartment sorted and and deal with all the paperwork and stuff and I had a car over there and there was there was a lot to do in, in the last couple of days but again everyone was there to support and it was a decision we, we just had to make at the time and, and we got the flight booked and we were out of there obviously it would have been nice to have some downtime and spend some social time with the girls at the end of the season that, that we never really got to have but listen it was something that was happening all over the world it wasn't the it wasn't just happening there and people had to sacrifice a lot of things. So we decided to book the flight and and that was us on the way home. The, the journey was over. 
naturally during a crisis situation, people want to go home. Home is always seen as the safe place. Uh, with a pandemic, it's always hard to predict of where it's actually going to hit and where it's going to hit hard, particularly as we see in, the, in, in deaths. I mean, the USA's numbers are astronomical. Is there much chat amongst the Irish women at this stage while because all of you bar Anya Tai were all getting ready to go home? Was there much chit-chat of actually where is the safer place to be at this moment in a pandemic? Is it is it going to ravish Ireland more? Is it safer to be in Australia? Is is there any that kind of chat? Yeah, there was a there was a lot of communication. We had a group um, of all the girls that were in Melbourne first and then and then the Irish group as a whole. So there was a lot of chat with, with people trying to get home and, and wondering when would be the right time to go and if we left it too long, would we get home at all? And I suppose a few of the girls thought ones who didn't have, have work commitments at home or obviously didn't have family or children at home, um, like I had Joshua, they kind of thought you may as well stay in Australia because you're going home to a lockdown anyway. So... That was kind of the decisions we had to make and I suppose the fear was just actually not getting the flight home. But a few of the girls did stay that wee bit longer um, because the lockdown was already in in Ireland at that stage. I was going home and I had to quarantine for two weeks before I got home to see Joshua at all. So I think that was in the back of, of people's heads too that they may as well stay the two weeks in Australia. So there was a lot kind of the way up and with people ringing you from home telling you how bad it was was kind of making you panic that wee bit more when it seemed fine in Australia at the time and I suppose when it was only when we got home that Melbourne got really bad then so it's hard to know did we make the right call or could we have stayed longer but it was it was something that we had to decide at the time. I was due back at work anyway um, after the Easter holidays so for me I wasn't going to be able to stay on for a prolonged time after the season. So it was, I kind of made that decision a wee bit easier for me that I was eventually coming home anyway. So it, it didn't shorten my time too much. Um, but yeah, there was a, there was a lot. The groups were, were heavily, um, hit over those couple of weeks trying to decide what we were going to do and, and getting feedback from each other. So a lot of us ended up on the same flight. So it was nice that we weren't traveling on our own. As you said, it's, it's very hard to predict anything that happens in a pandemic because, as we know, lockdowns would happen everywhere. Lockdowns are happening in Ireland, and if you stayed here in uh, Melbourne, Victoria, we had uh, an original lockdown in uh, around March, April, and then, of course, it hit us bad again in July, and we had several months of stage four lockdowns here. Um, can you talk about life going back to Ireland over those coming months? As you said, you went into uh, two weeks lockdown. I think there was um, some funny photos of uh, of uh, Eilish Considine um, sitting at home um, uh, in, in a quarantine, waving through the window to the other side, and her sister Amir is there <laughs> trying to keep her company through the window. Um, can you talk about what those uh, following months were like and then trying to get back to a normal life, getting back to your work, and then obviously uh, getting back to the Gaelic game as we know got affected as well yeah so when I went back I, I hadn't actually told Joshua I was coming home because obviously I knew I, I wouldn't be able to see him for two weeks so I was um, phoning him on, on video calls from an hour down the road but he thought I was still in Australia and he'd be pretty clued in so he'd be like what time is it there and why are you up so late and he, he probably knew rightly but um I was just trying to keep that communication without him knowing. So 
the two weeks kind of, I got a big shock with the weather when I got back and I was straight back into training. So trying to adapt again to the climate was was my first kind of protocol, given that I couldn't see anybody. So it kind of took a while and then I got I got back home and I was able to see mum and my sisters and all all our houses are close together so I was able to see all them our lockdown was was probably no way as extreme as as the one in Melbourne going from talking to the girls and um ours was called a lockdown but I don't know was it a a full-on one and so to speak so with work the schools were obviously closed so I didn't actually get back in physically teaching and a lot of it was online so so that was cut pretty short but it was in the lead up to our summer holidays there so there wasn't kind of too much left it was the end of May so we only had a month or two to go within school and the Gaelic season was, was very up in the air we didn't no dates are being pushed back, but nothing was ever confirmed. So it was kind of hard there because we were training for a championship that we didn't know was going to happen or not. So it was very hard to try and adapt our training. So I actually didn't stop at all from when I came home. I went straight back into full training and never really got that break until, don't know, did I get it at all? <laughs> until we lost after, after the year did go ahead. So it was a long window there where everything was very unknown and you weren't seeing anybody so for me being away from so long and then coming home by the time I seen someone again you kind of forgot that you were even away because everybody was in the in the same boat of of kind of isolating and just keeping themselves to themselves so it was a really strange time and um, we were probably blessed that that the weather was good for a change I was on the phone to the Bulldogs girls one day they they had a video call and I was telling them there was a heat wave in Ireland. It was 21 degrees and <laughs> I was out sunning myself and they thought this was completely baffling that they would have been froze. Um, but plus the, the weather was brilliant at the time so at least we had that and you were able to get out and about whereas this time now it's, it's pretty bleak like it's raining and windy every day and it's freezing so that kind of makes it a wee bit more difficult that you're kind of really housebound and um, the last time it was it was really good that you were able to get out and still get your exercise and good for everyone's mental health really. Um, so this time it's probably proven a bit tougher, but hopefully we'll we'll come out the end of it. There was naturally big questions about whether the Irish women would be allowed to play in the AFLW in 2021, mainly due to obviously quarantine and whatever rules the federal government would put in place because uh, of limiting numbers to the amount of people per week who could come back uh, into the country. Um, as we'd end up seeing, um, the, the Irish number is actually pretty stable and, and pretty much uh, close to the levels of last year with a notable exception. Now, obviously, Lauren McGee is a new player for Melbourne. We'll touch on that in just a moment's time. Uh, but we, but you are one of three that will not be coming out. Now, first of all, was Clara Fitzpatrick, a bit of a unique situation there where Clara is going for permanent residency. And because that paperwork wasn't approved yet and the deadline got too close for the Saints, uh, they told her, you'll be back in 2022, but we can't play you in 2021. Um, obviously waiting upon that permanent residency paperwork to happen. Uh, your Donegal teammate, Yvonne Bonner, wasn't coming out for the GWS because she couldn't get a visa for her husband. Um, so that's the second player 
And now for yourself, um, it was interesting because the Bulldogs originally put out on their website, and I quote, they said, uh, Katie Heron has elected not to return to the Western Bulldogs for the 2021 AFLW season due to family reasons. Um, uh, less than 24 hours later, you spoke with uh, Emma Duffy at uh, the 42, and um, you, you said that wasn't quite the case. Um, can you explain from your situation what, I guess, that was like over those um, month or two about are you coming out, are you not coming out? and how that decision evolved? Yeah, I suppose um, everything was obviously very up in the air for everybody and it was it was kind of a hard situation to, to manage and plan for. So obviously the contract was signed and, and I had hoped to go out and the rest of the girls had hoped to go out. We'd signed contracts and everything was very up in the air with our season at home and it was being pushed back and, and things were looking like they were going to overlap and obviously with Joshua um, he wasn't part of the plans to come out this year um, and he wouldn't have got a visa and there would have been a lot of he wouldn't have got out of school for as long there was a lot of issues in my end with, with bringing Joshua and given the quarantine nobody could come out to help me or come out to take him home early there was there's a lot of issues surrounding that and I suppose being away from him for so long was was a decision that I had to make. Could I do that and, and missing Christmas? So Christmas was probably a, a big thing in the back of my head and if I could have, if, if the situation had a settled any, I would have been able to come home during the normal Christmas period and, and fly out again. But with the virus, obviously, and, and quarantine issues, that wasn't going to be... Uh, a solution or, or an option for me so I had kind of approached the club and asked was there any way that I could fly out after Christmas because I knew the, the Dublin girls were flying out after Christmas and that there was going to be a, a flight then and it was probably something that that the club didn't really want to see happen at the time they, they didn't know was there definitely going to be a flight and um. I obviously knew that the girls were, were going and, and Melbourne had agreed that they could come after Christmas. So that was, I had offered to fly at that time. I know obviously it's not ideal and, and playing football for so long. I know it's not an ideal situation coming into a setup later than, than the original start date and especially when, when I was new on the team. So for any manager, it's obviously not ideal preparation, which I completely understand. Um, I just thought the the circumstances were, were pretty unique for a lot of people and, and even the league over there that there there might have been a bit of more leeway on, on that ground but it just wasn't to be. They thought it wasn't the best situation for the team to be in and me arriving so late after Christmas and having to quarantine for two weeks wasn't wasn't in the best interest for me as a player um, which is understandable as well and given the season now has been brought forward, it probably wouldn't have been ideal, but obviously it was something I thought we could have worked around, but it just wasn't to be, and it was it probably wasn't wasn't my choice not to go, but it wasn't my choice to go early either, so to speak, so it was kind of, um, we came to to the solution that it would be best if I didn't travel, um, although it was, it was something I really did want to do, and I wanted to get over, but it just was something that didn't work out and there was too many logistics to work around um, to see it happen. So we decided um, that I, I wouldn't get back out unless I could I could fly early and 
a lot of a lot of my football and career has been based around me giving a hundred and ten percent all the time and sacrificing, I suppose, my family a lot of the time, which probably isn't the best way to approach things. But given the the type of player I am and the type of person I am, I I like to give give everything when I commit to something. So I think it just came to a stage where I was being asked to sacrifice a bit too much with leaving Joshua for Christmas and it was something I decided I didn't want to do. So I decided to put him first and and the hope that there would have been a, a compromise and um, it's just something that didn't work out. And I completely understand where the club were coming from with regards to um, getting organised for an upcoming season and developing me as a player and obviously if I wasn't in the country it was going to be pretty hard to do that so I accepted the the decision they came to um, and and respect the reason they made it so it was it was just pretty disappointing for me at the time um, it was something I was, I was looking forward to build on from last year and I know going out last year I probably only ever thought it was going to be a one-year thing and getting the chance for a second year then was, was always only ever a bonus. So um, it just it didn't play out the way we planned and obviously COVID had a lot to do with that as well. And I suppose if we weren't in the situation we're in, things would have been a lot different. So I don't really think anyone's to blame, so to speak. It's, it's just something that, that didn't work out as I had hoped. So... I just need to accept that now and and move on from it. Is it a bit frustrating that the Bulldogs couldn't be as flexible as the Melbourne Football Club? Because as we record at this very moment, uh, Sinead Goldrick, Neve McAvoy and Lauren McGee, and it's very important to to point out this is Lauren McGee's first season, so she hasn't come out to do an Aussie Rules pre-season. They're all under quarantine at this moment and they actually won't be with the Demons until one week out from their season opener. Yeah, I think um, I think if that wasn't the case, it would have it would have made the decision a lot easier for me to take. But the the fact that I knew that that the girls were were being accommodated in that way was was probably what what was more disappointing for me, knowing that that they are there in the same situation as me, and obviously Lauren um, being new to the game completely, and and this is her first year, and the fact that they'd kind of left that open for her to still come at such a late stage um, that's probably what, what was most disappointing and the reason probably why why it was upsetting at the time and um, seeing that they were given that opportunity and, and I wasn't um, listen I, again I completely understand within a professional setup I would have always been the player to say people shouldn't be brought in halfway through the year and if you're going to commit, you commit from the start. And I completely understand where they're coming from in that regard and that's how a professional setup should should be ran. But um, obviously, given certain circumstances, there has to be a bit of a bit of leeway and, and Melbourne done that for the three Dublin girls. So um, that was probably what made it harder to take and harder to digest at the time. But... But look, that's that's how, how things roll. So um, I just need to accept that decision now, and, and things didn't work out. And I'm sure there's there's a reason for it. So we'll we'll wait and see how things play out. 
how does that leave your relationship right now with the game of Australian rules football? Obviously, after this has happened that you can't come out for this year, it's understandable that if you don't want to think about the game for a while, you're frustrated and you just want to almost leave it in the past. Um, now that you probably had a little bit more time to um, um, uh, process that and uh, and in a week or two time, you're going to be able to have the opportunity to sit back and, and watch the games online. Is there still that fire and passion in the belly to say, okay, I'm going to go again. I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to commit for a 2022 AFLW season, whether it be with the Western Bulldogs or another club. Ah, yeah. Look, I think I think any athlete playing at this level always has that desire to better themselves and challenge themselves um, every year going forward, and and that's something that that's a, a trait that I possess massively. I'm always trying to push boundaries and and try and develop on what I've learned. So I would have, I would love the opportunity to to see where a second season would have brought me within my game and. Listen, who knows? Who knows what will happen, and if there's an opportunity there for me, or, or if there's not, um, I won't close any doors to it. Um, it's obviously an experience that I was massively grateful grateful for, and for the support that the Bulldogs gave me through my first season and the welcome that I got um, while I was there and, and throughout the season. It's, it's something that I'll be forever grateful for. Um, so it's, it's hard to know, obviously, at this stage with everything so up in the air, what what next season will bring, or for me in my life, or or for a, for another season at AFLW. But I'm still in touch with the girls and and chatting to the the Bulldogs family and following their progress and really looking forward to to see how they run out in round one and see how the girls are are playing so I'll I'll be watching with with a close eye um, on how they're getting on and still have a great great admiration for for what they're doing and really excited to see how the season plays out for them I know there's a lot of a lot of work that has gone in and um you, you build relationships when you're when you move to the other side of the world um without your own family so you get quite close to people and, and they become your support system so it's not something I'm going to forget forget too easy so I'll be I'll be following and supporting them in the, in the 2021 season Just a couple of quick fire questions before we let you go um, mainly to do with the players that you've played against or played with in the AFLW um, First cab off the rank um, who was possibly the hardest opponent that you came up against in your six game career? Oh God, you're going to really, you're going to really throw it at me now. <laughs> um, I suppose against Melbourne, I was probably given the task of marking Kehor, which was, which she's a brilliant player, um, and probably caught me on the back foot a few times. So she probably stood out to me most. Who was the player, either you, you playing with or um, they were on the opposition and just happened to be on the same field that you were most impressed by? Um, I think within our own setup, um, because we all debuted together, and um, Lizzie G was was a a player that I really think developed massively throughout the year, um, as well as actually Elsa Elna Brown. I think the two of them being so young and just given everything last season, and Lizzie was asked to play in different positions at different stages, and she just 
took all the roles on board and, and really worked as hard as she could. And we, we built a good friendship and I'm really, really excited to see what she has to offer this year. So, yeah, I think she did brilliantly in her, in her first year out and I think she's a player to watch. Out of the players of the Western Bulldogs, um, which player did you turn to the most as almost a, a private confidant or a shoulder to cry on, or, or you know something to someone to talk about if you're struggling with something off the field, or, or even struggling with something on the field? Who, who did you turn to the most? Uh, probably um, Bonnie and Scotty were probably the first two that kind of welcomed me and took me in given that Bonnie was in Brighton and she was close by so the two girls really were were there for me quite a bit at the start um Nikki Cal obviously was was a massive influence um as well she just has, has a great leadership about her and she's really easy to talk to and she was always always there trying to boost your confidence and check in to make sure make sure you're okay but the girls on a whole um the type of atmosphere that that they bring and the support network that's around the team environment they're all they were always you never couldn't turn to anybody there was always somebody there if you needed them but I suppose those three girls up there was loads like Brooke would have Brooke Lachlan would have would always dropped in a message to to check how things were going and Ezzy Huntington like it's the list is probably endless but um, Hannah and and Bonnie were probably the first two that that were there for me at the start when I was settling them. In your mind, who was the biggest serial pest or practical joker amongst the group? Uh, <laughs> um, I got great entertainment out of Eleanor Brown. I think she's a just a brilliant character to have around. Um, she's she's happy all the time, and she just brings a, a really good vibe to training and puts a smile on your face. So. She's, she's just a great girl to have around. And finally, what does it mean to you when you sit down in, in front of your laptop, you start to punch in your name and you have your own Wikipedia page pop up and it says, Katie Heron is an Australian rules footballer. I didn't even know I had that. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, I'll get to that. I suppose it's something that when you're growing up and you're playing sport out in a, a country field in, in a small village in Ireland that you probably never ever expect to to be on an international stage like that. So looking back at, at all the years that I've trained and, and worked hard to get to where I am, it's, it's a massive privilege to have got that opportunity and it's, it's something very special to me that given everything I've put in over the years and the commitment I have to my sport that I got this opportunity and it's, it's obviously something that, that I'll cherish and will be lovely to look back on in, in years to come. So, yeah, it means a lot. Well, Katie, thank you very much for joining us here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. You've certainly been a credit to your country, Ireland. You have been a fantastic footballer to watch during the 2020 AFLW season with the Western Bulldogs. And we certainly have our fingers crossed that the world becomes a better place, uh, that COVID-19 goes away, we return to normal, and that we will see you back here on our shores for the 2022 AFLW women's season.
Cheers, Peter. Thank you. Still to come, Weemstown VFLW coach Penny Killer-Reed and captain of St Mary's in the NTFL women's competition, Isabel Porter. All on the Women's Australian Rules Football podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. And joining us on the line now here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. She is still technically the reigning VFL Women's Premiership coach. Yes, it goes back to 2019, but obviously we had no season in 2020. That's when she was at the Collingwood Football Club. She had a whole pre-season and had a side ready to go for 2020 at the Weemsdown Football Club. But as we all know, COVID-19 hit and completely wiped out Victorian football, both men's and women's across all levels bar the AFL. Finally, it looks like the light is at the end of the tunnel. We'll have a season away at the end of February, the 2021 VFLW season. It's great to have on the line, still yet to technically coach her first game for premiership points at the Seagulls, Penny Killer-Reed. <laughs> hey, Peter, how are you going? Great to have you back on the line. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a long wait, hasn't it been, for you to to finally coach Williamstown for those four premiership points? feel like I haven't... You know, left the Williamstown Football Club, the COVID period was like a blur. It was nice to have some time off, but yeah, really excited about the upcoming season. We obviously talked last time in our interview about uh, the stop-start nature of preparing for a season that didn't go ahead with COVID-19. But just for yourself personally, um, the last time we spoke to you was before the stage four lockdowns. Um, how was life for you as a, a competing person? You know, you were a sports person. You even still played a little bit with the St Kilda Sharks and the SEWFL. And as a coach with that competitive spirit that you're forced to stay within the four walls. <laughs> Well, I think I've found other ways to be competitive in terms of how long will it take me to do this puzzle? Um, how long will it take me to do this workout? How far can I get on the, the spin bike that I've got at home? So I found other ways to scratch the itch of my competitiveness. And some of your Weemstown players as well, I should point out, didn't actually spend the winter as well behind four walls. Some of them, I note, actually managed to escape away to the Northern Territory. We know that originally from Darwin, Isabella Porter is playing up there at St Mary's and Megan Williamson has joined her up there as well. Uh, how crucial is that for a, a couple of your players while other clubs have essentially missed an entire season that their thumbs still getting some footy up in the top end? Oh, pretty crucial in terms of some of our more senior players having the opportunity to go up to the NT and, and play a handful of games and they're sort of actually just come back um, from the weekend as well. They're up there having a game and um, not only from the players' point of view to get more games, but also the relationship that we'll look to build with the um, AFL-NT. And if our seasons continue to play in the summer, um, then the opportunity for more players during the back end of the season or the start of our pre-season to head up to the NT, which is really exciting. 
Let's talk about those uh, relationships that the club have and, and obviously where you're getting your players from. Now, I think it's obvious, but we might as well double check, is that last season you did have this kind of alignment or agreement with the Adelaide Crows that they were going to uh, give you some numbers when obviously the VFLW used to start around late March, April. Um, I guess now with the season being moved to February, which kind of aligns with the Sandville W season, that, that alignment now won't happen. The Adelaide players will just stick strictly to the SANFLW. Yeah, that's correct. So we're still open and having conversations with other AFLW teams in terms of the opportunity that to send their players in the second half of the season to Williamstown to continue to play in the highest state league competition in the country. Um, so those conversations have been open and we're um, still working through that process. Indeed, because uh, as we know, and we were speaking to Lachlan Harris a couple of weeks ago, there is still that window, isn't there? Come around uh, late April, early May, when AFLW clubs delist players, that there's the opportunities for those players that are delisted to immediately go to another club, in particular a VFLW standalone club, to get that opportunity to showcase for reconsideration in the draft come October. Yeah, that's the, um, I guess, the draw card for standalone clubs is to have those delisted AFLW players to continue to push their case for redrafting um, come the following season. So let's talk as we start to prepare for this season. Coming up to about November last year, okay, you've missed the season. You start to get ready to do the paperwork and get players signed up for uh, for the 2021 season. You have your list manager, Lachlan Harris, only for a little bit. He's now your rival at Williamstown's most hated rival, Port Melbourne. Well, just another reason why we uh, have that continued rivalry um, across the bay between Port Melbourne and Williamstown. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a great opportunity for him and we're really excited from um, our perspective that he gets the opportunity to coach his own team. But it's going to be even more sweeter when we play and um, at the end of the day I can say, hmm, did you make the right move? Or... <laughs> No, oh. it's, a great, it's fantastic for him. We're, we're, we're stoked. I, I love it. Stoking the fires of the rivalry. I absolutely love it. But it mean, and mind you, probably deserves it because he's starting to sneak one or two players across. We talked last time in the interview, you said about, oh, some kid came down called Bridie, was a friend of one of your players, then find out, oh, my goodness, it's former TAC Cup co-winner Bridie Kennedy. Uh, she's actually being poached to Paul Melbourne. Yeah, it's a great pickup for, for Port and from what I have heard, um, a little bit closer for her living style. But then um, her partner plays here at uh, Williamstown. So I think, again, you know, we just want the girls to play at, at the highest quality of whatever club that they feel is, is best for them. Um, and we'll see what happens during the season. What has it been like trying to recruit during COVID times? Uh, normally, for example, if you look at under-18 talent that misses out from the uh, NAB League and doesn't get picked up by the AFLW, you would have normally had a full season uh, to view them playing in the NAB League. In fact, last year in 2020, you would have had them actually even play a couple of games at Weemstown and possibly retain to sign them for 2021. Naturally, you would also be scouring the grassroots leagues. Like, you've already picked up one or two VAFA players, but naturally players uh, grow in their game as they go along and you would be picking out videotape or scouting reports from anywhere you could from the suburban leagues to feed through into a standalone side. How do you do that when there's a complete season missing? Yeah, I mean, it's been a challenge and I think we're not the only club that's had that sort of um, mentality and going out and just having conversations with players. We've invited, I think, over 70 to 80 players down to training just to 
one, hey, come down to Williamstown, see how you like it and, um, you know, see what it's like at the state league level and if, you know, you sort of fit in with the culture of the club and if you think you're good enough to play, then we'll keep you along. Um, if not, we'll have that conversation with them and say, look, you might be best to head back to local league this year and um, we'll keep an eye on you. And again, with the alignments of the season, the second half of the um, community club footy, we'd be able to go out and watch them play footy and look to recruit that way um, in terms of, you know, not having footage and stuff. But for us, it's just about who who knows who and getting them down to training and seeing if, you know, they want to be a part of Williamstown. I believe you held a virtual uh, tryout for players that wanted to uh, sign up with Williamstown in 2021, essentially sending their vision in if they had any vision and um, also uh, obviously going through Sporting Pulse if there's any stats or anything they've got from anywhere <laughs> to show that, hey, they're actually a good footballer and they've been named in the best so many times. How's it been like trying to scout a team in, in that virtual world? Yeah, well... Um when you come with difficult times, you've got to be creative and um, without having a physical virtual talent search, sorry, a physical um, talent search, we just thought that, you know, there's been so many Zoom meetings and everyone's on the computer that why the hell not get them to feel themselves and send the video in. And if we think that they're, you know, showing the fundamentals of football that we're looking for, we invite them down when we can actually open up our doors and and get into physical training. So um, it was a a really good process, Um, a bit of fun as well, because we had our leadership group um, design all the videos, um, posted it up, and we had some really good um, people apply, and turns out that we signed a, a handful of them, which is even better. You did actually have a few players that you needed to cover, including for the likes of uh, Amy Smith, for example. You raved about her last time, but great news for her. Obviously, she got picked up as a father-daughter pick by uh, the North Melbourne Tasmanian uh, Kangaroos, so there is spots to fill. Out of the new players that you're bringing in before we start to go one by one, how much has the, the side evolved that possibly even affects the style of game plan that you want to implement? Yeah, I mean, that's, been, again, one of the fun parts of coaching and something that I'm learning really enjoying that development it's always the the million dollar question do you build a a game plan around the players that you have or do you have a a game plan and get the players for that particular game plan so um, we've got a looking at our list currently it's quite young um, and inexperienced which is again a great opportunity for me to continue my coaching and coaching these girls into the style of play that we're, we're looking to do and I guess it's about learning the strengths of the players getting them to understand what their strengths are and then really trying to execute the type of style that we want to play. As you said, um, you're a young side with less experience. Uh, you haven't been tempted to just scout through the list of because there were a lot of AFLW retirees coming off the back of the last season. For example, picking up a phone to a Nikki Cullinan, who even though she might be in her late 30s, just going, hey, Nikki, uh, you don't want to pull on the boots for a little run around? <laughs> No, I've, I definitely reached out to those, um, I guess, retired um, AFLW players, more so from a, a coaching perspective to see if they're interested in getting to, into coaching. Um, I'm very much about developing young female coaches as I'm one myself and giving them the supportive environment to allow them to see how it works. I think the biggest thing from an AFLW perspective as a retiree is once you sort of cross that line of being a coach is your relationships with players tend to change. Um, because of their dynamics of being a coach versus being a player. And that's one thing that I learnt um, very quickly coming into into coaching is how those relationships will change um, and what I need to do as a, a leader um, of the program and how I need to change my language and change my views 
um, when I go into having conversations with players. And just quickly on that, your thoughts on as well, of, of course, you'll be competing at, uh, at some stage against the Hawthorne Football Club, now led by an AFLW Premiership coach in Beck Goddard. And of course, they made the announcement about a month ago that they've actually got an all-female coaching panel. Yeah, I think it's fantastic for the Women's Coaching Association to um, continue to build um, and having more females in, in football is something that I'm, I'm very um, proud of, but also I think it's a great initiative by the um, Hawthorne Football Club and Beck Goddard to continue to push those boundaries and create opportunities for female coaches. So let's talk about some of the recruits that you've managed to uh, pick up for the 2021 AF, pardon me, VFLW uh, season. Uh, we begin with a big name out of WA, and I'm interested to, to note uh, for her reasons for coming across to, to Melbourne, uh, Alana Dickey had been involved in years in uh, WA women's footy, uh, premierships at uh, Swan Districts, uh, a state representative played in the inaugural WA All-Stars match, uh, was part of the West Coast Eagles Female High Performance Academy, as well as a playing coach at uh, Claremont. I mean, the years and years of experience that Alana's got behind her. How did that uh, happen, that she was going to come across to Victoria? And then, of course, the the way that you managed to communicate with her to convince her to come to Williamstown. (laughs) Well, I think that was easy because the colours are, you know, her Claremont colours, the the blue and gold. So that was an easy pull across. I think the biggest thing for, for Dickie was the coaching opportunities that we would be able to provide her. So she's actually come on as a coach player. Um, she's going to look after the skill acquisitions on our team and look after the first and second year players that we have in those fundamental skills that you sort of need to continue to build um, and execute on game day under pressure. Um, and Dickie's just like, she's an amazing person. Um, great for our culture of the club. Very much um, love the way that she coaches, the way what she brings to a club as well, not just from a playing perspective, but a really strong leader um, and the maturity that she will bring to the to the group. Um, she's a fantastic pickup for her and probably the number one recruit in my eyes. Going through some of the other signings that you got, first of all, um, uh, from the VAFA, uh, you picked up uh, the former co-captain of Therry Panola, uh, and that is being Bridget Costello, um, won a premiership uh, in Division 2 back in uh, 2019 and uh, also earned VAFA Team of the Year honours as well. Yeah, she's also got a, a really strong background in netball and that shows in the tight sort of small-sided games that we play is her ability to move in and out of traffic. You sort of look at some of the netballers that come across in Ashbraz and Chloe, Le- um, Shani, not Leighton now, but um, how they sort of move in and out of traffic and Bridget was actually one of those players who I think, like a few other players, is even though they've come from a Division II um sort of league, but once you put them in a high level environment, the way that they thrive and, and take their footy to the next level. So Bridget's definitely been one of those players who's really thrived in the environment of the state league level um, and the coaches around her and continues to push that boundaries of um, small sided games and, and in and out of tight traffic. Talk about being involved at the elite level. We talk about uh, Danica DeSanto. Now, she was involved in the NAB League program at the Oakley Chargers, played three games uh, for them. And as we've seen at the AFLW level, some quality players have been taken out of the Oakley Chargers <laughs> into the system. Um, talk about um, uh, managing to contact with her because uh, normally you expect Oakley players, obviously, because they had an alignment with your previous club, Collingwood. They normally go to Collingwood and now they've kind of got an alignment, I believe, with Port Melbourne as things start to shift around. Um, how did you manage to pick up uh, pick up Danica? 
Yeah, so I guess that was my relationship when I um, worked at the Collingwood Football Club going through the Next Generation Academy where uh, Danica was a part of that group of um, athletes that went through that program. And basically what she did is she just reached out to the VFLW clubs and little did she know that I was the coach at Williamstown. Um, And then we invited her along to a training session and then the smile on her face when she realised that I was the coach, um, I think really allowed her to feel a lot more calm, a lot more centred and more enthusiastic about joining Williamstown. Um, She's sort of like our, like a Ruby Tripodi that we have on our list at the moment. They're sort of young, really strong in the contest and just need that little bit of more development in her fundamental skills to really be a, a key player for us. Another player you signed came out of the Northern Football Netball League, but is actually based in the Western Suburbs because the VU Western Spurs uh, were part of the NFNL. And um, that, of course, is Tori Snaletsk, um, played in that uh, dominant premiership winning side uh, in Division 1 back in uh, 2019. Uh, originally coming from a, a soccer background as well, uh, she was a backup goalkeeper for Melbourne Victory. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think, because um, she's quite small, you wouldn't think that she'd be a keeper. Um, but definitely the way that she moves and her power in terms of her vertical leap, you kind of get that understanding. Um, Tori was one of the players who actually sent through her um, talent search through the virtual talent search. Um, it's quite interested in what she could bring in terms of the size um, and her speed and power. So um, we invited her along to training and just like Bridget and, and Danica, her personality and her, the way that she trains really brought another sort of level to our playing group um, and really excited to see what she can do for us this year. I want to go through some of the uh, re-signings that you've uh, announced on social media. Uh, you've got back Erin Mead, uh, Lauren Suleiman, uh, Ruby Tripodi, Eliza Strafford, uh, Talia Merritt, uh, Asher Price, uh, Megan Williamson, who we were speaking about earlier, who's been up in the NT playing for St Mary's, also playing for St Mary's. Sasha Long's been up there as well. Uh, Scarlett Donnell has signed as well. Uh, where's the list looking at in the terms of numbers for, if I'm correct, it's 30 that you're allowed on your list? We're actually allowed 40 because we're a standalone yeah, club, yeah. yeah. So um, we've got room to move. Um, and I think that's the best thing about, again, being a standalone club is that we don't have to change halfway through the season. All our girls that are on the list will stay on the list. Um, there's no AFLW players to kick VFLW players off the list. So we're in a really strong position in terms of the way that and the culture that we're building here is everyone from top to bottom is, is all a part of um, the team and the club. How's that been, actually, that pitch to players when you're able to sit down with them to talk of, okay, that may be an AMFLW club and, okay, they've got the best facilities going around and and if you do train, you're training with the stars. But you're able to say, when you come to us, as long as you play well, you keep your spot and that's that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really fun having these conversations. I guess fun is a key word. Um, More so about not selling us as, as a program, but more selling what we can do for them as an individual um, and being a part of something bigger than bigger than themselves is a real draw card for us. And we're all, all much about, um, you know, all for one and one for all and, you know, we stand alone, but more so we stand together um, and we stand that I'm going to push you and you're going to push me to be better. Um, and I think that one of the biggest things is if you want to be the best, you need to play against the best. So if you're in the contest and you're, playing against a, a Presparcus and you beat Presparcus, those recruitment um, people are going to be looking at you to say, oh, geez, you can play against, you know, 
the reigning Brownlow medalist of the AFLW, maybe we need to have a look at you. So that's a big, big pull for us. Um, and more so that, you know, we're a community club base. We've got one of the biggest supports um, around the community bay here. And yeah, it's, it's been a real difference moving from Collingwood to, to Williamstown. And I'm um, just, yeah, really in loving, loving the journey. Yeah, like you say, those uh, games where you managed to go up well against established stars really stick in people's minds. One name that I think of, and, and perhaps you can uh, confirm for us or not if she will be back with Williamstown in 2021, because she's actually up in the NT as well. I think also at uh, St Mary's is Ashley Malnickus. And uh, the, the name sticks out to us because we remember, if I'm correct, uh, 2018, the first year Weemstown was in the VFLW, Amy Catterall coaching. Final game of the year, uh, Weemstown versus Melbourne University. Melnickus went on to Emma Carney and completely shut down Emma Carney. Yeah, she's, she's a really good player, Ash. And I think she's just trying to work out what's going to be best for her in terms of her football. We're very strong in terms of um, where we see her and what we can do to help her get to the next level. Um, I think she's taking some time out in the NT to figure out, you know, where she best sits. Um, and hopefully we can say that she is a signed VFL player for the Williamstown Football Club in 2021. Let's talk about the coaching staff for a moment because we, as we spoke about with Hawthorne earlier, we know that some clubs have also changed their coaching crew because a few things have happened, not only for COVID-19, where unfortunately for some clubs they had to, to lay off staff or in other cases people have been laid off the work that they were previously doing before COVID-19 and that new work and their hours doesn't align anymore with football or in other cases, as we've seen, because uh, the NAB League's girls coaches all got blasted out when uh, there was a big restructure to the NAB League boys girls system that means there were coaches available now in the pool Um, how much has that changed your coaching setup and structure and all of that behind the scenes at Williamstown um not so much Uh, more so that um I guess the the departure of Lachlan Harris has allowed a position here to be open um and we're still sort of looking for that more senior senior coach but if that doesn't sort of happen this year then um I think we've got enough support staff and coaching staff to fill that role. Um, just be nice to have an extra set of hands, but it hasn't really changed too much for us. Um, we've got a couple of development coaches. So Jasmine Carla, who unfortunately did her ACL in the Queensland competition, she'll, she's come on as a development coach. And we've got another development coach in Matthew Waters, who was part of Port Melbourne's um, coaching panel in the Southeast Football League. So he's come on to do some development work as well. So we've got a couple of young coaches, which we're looking to continue to help them develop in, in coaching, but also to make sure that the girls are getting enough touches and there's enough coaches around to make sure that they've got what they need as well. Now, of course, we're all patiently waiting upon the release of the uh, VFL w- women's fixture for 2021. We know the season will kick off on February 27, 28. We'll run for 14 rounds. There'll be a bye in Easter, then a bye before the finals begin in a top six format. But at this stage, we don't know exactly who is playing who. But have you managed to lock in your practice games? Because I believe most clubs, for example, Port Melbourne, uh, are playing at least uh, in the three weeks leading up to round one. Yeah, we've got a couple of practice matches um, waiting for confirmation of grounds and times, but we've got a, a few sort of in the pipelines that we're confirming hopefully by the end of this week. Um, and it'd be great for the girls to get a hit out uh, as well. So um, it's all guns blazing here at Williamstown. 
It's fantastic to hear. Well, Penny, thank you very much for joining us on the line here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. We wish you all the very best uh, as you start to ramp things up. Fingers crossed that uh, COVID-19 doesn't play havoc with things anymore and we're able to get away on the weekend of February 27-28. Always a pleasure, Peter. Thanks for having me. Don't go anywhere. Our chat with St Mary's NTFL women's captain Isabel Porter still to come on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. Been playing for a while Sweet kicks Cos footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football. And joining us on the line now here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival is one of the stars for the St Mary's Football Club up in Darwin in the NTFL Women's Competition. Currently sitting second on the table, 10 wins on the board, flying along and looking like possible challenges to pin for that premiership flag. It's great to have on the line Isabel Porter. Isabel, how are you? Uh, good, thank you. Good to be here. Great to have you on the line. Uh, wow, what a season so far for St Mary's. If we just go back uh, over a couple of years, for the three years now that you've been at St Mary's, uh, in 2018, five wins on the board, six wins on the board last year, flying along with a few rounds to go, ten wins on the board. Yeah, yeah, we have definitely uh, been building over the last couple of years and believe that this year could be the year for us. Um, yeah, just... Just had to recruit some girls along the way, but um, yeah, it looks like we've got a good team to go into finals with. Now, originally you were a recruit as well, weren't you, for St Mary's? Because going back to 2017, you were originally at the Buffets. Yes, yes. I won two premierships with the Buffets and then headed to Victoria to play some VFL footy and made my way back. And yeah, thanks recruited me and I just had some friends and players there that I really enjoyed playing with. Now before we go into depth about some of the players that you've got running around for St Mary's at the moment, you've got some fair talent there. Um, how, has, how have you been balancing that over the last couple of years where it's been winters down in Melbourne, summers up in Darwin? <laughs> yeah, when I um, when I first went to Victoria it was uh, obviously pretty cold but um, yeah, it was just it was easier to play in Victoria than what I found when I came back and played my first season back in uh, Darwin. I just thought, how could anyone play in this heat? Because it was just, it was horrible. But um, yeah, I guess because in Melbourne, I didn't really have much family or anyone. I was just focusing on footy. And then for me to come back and play footy in the NT was more seeing family and just catching up with them. But yeah, bonus playing two seasons in the one year, which was, yeah, pretty pretty good. 
How have you adjusted to, to playing, I guess, two different brands of football? As we know, with the cold, sluggish weather down in Melbourne, it's in, cl- in tight, close footy in Victoria. But when you go up to Darwin, particularly with a lot of Indigenous footballers in the NTFL women's competition, the game is uh, spread open. There's a lot of run and carry, particularly when you're playing on bigger grounds like TAO Oval. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I, it's, it's just a different... Um, yeah, different type of players that we have in the NT compared to Victoria. You have the in Victoria, you have a lot of the girls that have the skills, some skills, but are athletic. But in in uh, Darwin, you just got those girls that were gifted with those skills, and it's um it's a very rough competition. Whereas in Victoria, it's the big bodies, big tackling. You know, you got to be fast and just hard at the ball. Absolutely, and you found yourself within two clubs in Victoria. Uh, you originally started at Darriman, where you played uh, half a dozen games before moving across to Weemstown. Um, who originally recruited you to play at the Falcons? Well, we won, when I won the under-18 Buffett Premiership, we actually had a girl from, from Melbourne come up and play a couple games with us, and she actually played juniors at Darriman, and she said, hey, look... Um, why don't you come down and give give senior level a go? And I, you know, I jumped on it as as soon as I could. And then after six games at Darabin, uh, by the 2018 season, you jumped across to the Weemstown Football Club, which was rather interesting because it wasn't like uh, jumping across to an AFLW affiliated to a standalone and, and vice versa. You jumped from a standalone to a standalone. Um, h- how did the communication come about for you to be recruited uh, by Weemstown to play under Amy Catterall for two seasons? Yeah, well, that was... I was, I was still planning on to play at Darabin that season, but I saw that Williamstown had a talent ID day. And I just thought, oh, I'll give it a go. And I did that, and I, I ended up placing, like, top two or three in that and uh, got a contract offer, you know, pretty much that week. And, yeah, I just saw the opportunity to probably get more games and game time and, yeah, just learn a bit more particularly playing off the half-back there for the Seagulls. Out of your time in Victoria, what elements of the game down here has helped you in your game up in Darwin? Uh, definitely structure. And just just knowing now that you need to acknowledge the your teammates' skills and what they can do so you know where to kick it, where they lead, just, just the little things in the game that I've picked up now that I can and especially leadership I've definitely picked up some leadership and I'm actually captain of the St Mary's footy team this season so um yeah very exciting you've actually managed to bring some Weemsdown footballers with you up to the NC and playing at St Mary's two names that stand out uh Megan Williamson of course who's a midfielder at the Seagulls and a tagger and Ashley Mel Nickers Yes, uh, two of my very close friends that I had that I had in uh, Seagulls. But, yeah, because um, of COVID and our season got cancelled, they were just keen to get some footy in. And I said, oh, they're actually Waratahs were trying to recruit a lot of the Williamstown girls. And I said, nah, come along to Saints. We'll look after you guys there. Like, we, we need the players. We need the skills. And uh, they were happy. And... Yeah, and then we had uh, a couple of other girls follow as well. 
Yeah, quite a lot of uh, Victorians came up to uh, play in the competition. Of course, one that uh, we interviewed last year was um, McCallie Award, who's playing at the Nightcliff Tigers, and in fact, it came back uh, uh, this week to play for them. Uh, if we go through your side and, and you know, really who's been in form, um, the big name that stands out for us, as much as we've got some AFLW recruited players in there, has been Jasmine Anderson this year, um, along with Megan. She's been named in the best seven times. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, Jazzy, I actually won my premiership with her at Buffs and I was surprised to see her at uh, the Green and Gold this season and she said, oh, I'm excited to play with you again. And uh, she just saw St. Mary's as a very family-orientated club and her younger sister, Janome Anderson, actually played under 18 for her whole... whole. Yeah, she's... Uh, very fast, very fit, and just very positive. I love, I just love being out on the field with her. Talk about being in the blood with Janome Anderson. She's played three games, twice in the best, and she's only 16. Yeah, yeah, that's an extremely talented player right there. And um, unfortunately, it was her last game of the rounds. I'm not sure about finals. Uh, she goes to Melbourne girls' grammar for boarding school. So uh, I, I guess a few VFL clubs all of a sudden be just casting their eye over <laughs> a possible a possible recruitment of Janami Anderson. Um, continuing through the list, you've obviously got AFLW talent in there. Uh, first of all, the sensational Danielle Potter, who herself played in Melbourne um, a few years back for Essendon, and that got her recruited to the Adelaide Crow. She played seven games for you this season. How important has it have been to have Danielle as part of the group? Uh, look, Danielle has two of her sisters playing, so I think that that what draws her back as well. But um, she, I mean, all the girls look after her. She, she, you can't fault her. She's just she's there. She's putting in the work. She's you know her her skills are just something that you'd admire. Leading the goal kickers at the moment, Michaelia Long, who's bagged seventeen so far this season. Yes, Michaela. Um, she just come back this season. I don't think she's played in a while, but um, yeah, she's finding some form, which is really good. And yeah, we're just trying to really build our forward line around her. What can you tell us about uh, Alana Coons in your side? She's had 10 games under the belt this year um, and uh, from that uh, kicked four goals and been named to the best six times. Yeah, Alana. Um yeah, she's a, she's a tough little nut, um, very fast, very skillful, and just just effort. She just does her third, fourth. Hey, can you tell us what it's like playing under, of course, uh, your coach and Jared Islet? Jared, I am uh, very knowledgeable and... Um, uh, I'm just sorry, just trying to think of the word. Um, just understands each individual and puts the time in and just gets around it and puts so much of his time into it. 
So let's take a look at, obviously, your your past weekend. You played against Nightcliff and they're a side that made uh, finals last year. Um, they're a side that came back at you, actually, in the final quarter. You were leading by three goals at three-quarter time. They did held you scoreless uh, in that final quarter. In fact, they held you goalless for the second half. Um, they came back, but were inaccurate. They were one goal, three. How important is it to get that type of win heading into finals, having to hang on in an arm wrestle? Yeah, look, uh, what Jared explained to us is that uh, they play four quarters and that's something that we need to bring into our game. And that's what we definitely did. We played four quarters and everyone played their role and um, really liked how the under-18 girls like Janome and Arini and a couple of others stepped up that game and just no one left anything in the tank. I said, this win really means something to us, obviously, because it, just gives us a bit of breathing room between busts. Indeed. And heading into the uh, final uh, couple of rounds, you've got a very, very interesting month ahead. Coming up over the next two weeks, you're playing uh, two previous premiers. You're playing Southern District's Crocs um, this coming, um, you've got, I think, on Saturday, the 30th of January in a night game. Uh, also coming up uh, on round 16, you're playing uh, Waratah, who've won a bunch of premierships up there in the NTFL. Then you have a bye. And then just to make things a little bit spicy, before you come into the finals, you're playing top of the table, Pint. Yeah, Pints. Um, yeah, we're happy with the buys that we have. So we have a bye this weekend, and then we play two, and then we have a bye. So we're just, just getting our recovery in and um, just having a breather before, obviously, we we play those big games and just trying to work on stuff before training and the games. Absolutely, and I, I'm guessing that final round is probably a little bit tricky because um, sometimes, uh, you know, you, you, you put your best game plan out there for the final round to try and prepare for the finals, but considering that uh, with Pint that you'd probably play them again, uh, come finals, it's a bit. It's a bit difficult. Of how much do you show them? Yeah, that's true. But um, they are undefeated, and we. Well, if you want to know something, we've actually had over eighty-one players play for the St. Mary's women's teams this year, including Premier League and Div One. So we've had forty-nine of them play Premier League. So I mean, our our tide changes all the time. So. Uh, it'll be interesting who we have that game and, and what Jared plans for us. But at the moment, we're just trying to work on our skills and our team bond. So not not too focused on pints themselves, just, just us as a group. That is an extraordinary number. Not just the 81, but 49 players have gone through your top side. And, you know, for... For any other team, let's say, for example, a big number went through because there was a stack of injuries, you'd expect them to be near the bottom end of the table because you go, well, there's no consistency, you know, there's, there's players chopping and changing each week. That's an extraordinary amount of players to turn over and to still keep consistency and still to have that many wins on the board. Yeah, yeah, it is very amazing. And um, full credit to Jared and our volunteers that just get there every week and make sure that the girls are ready. And finally, for yourself, Isabel, before we uh, let you go, will we be seeing you in Melbourne for another winter? Oh, I'm a bit undecided now. I'm just going to focus on winning uh, a few more games and see what happens in finals. And um, did speak to Williamstown, and they did say that they 
would be happy for me to come back. But, um, yeah, I just, just got some thinking to do, really. And you've got a premiership to try and plot there with St Mary's because who knows, maybe in a couple of months' time, you will be Isabel Porter, premiership captain at St Mary's. Who knows? Isabel, thank yeah, you very probably. Isabel, thank you very much for joining us here on the Women's Strandrels Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. And we wish you and St Mary's all the very best in the coming weeks as you prepare for the 2020-2021 NTFL Women's Finals campaign. All right, no, thank you, Peter. And before we go, let's check in with the results from the NTFL Women's Competition that goes across the Darwin Summer. Round 14 played over the weekend. And by 22-9-141, Thrash Wanderers 117. Tracy Village 128 went down to Palmerston Magpies 8-4-52. Waratah 3-3-21 went down to the Darwin Buffets in a thriller 3-7-25. And Nycliffe 3-10-28 were defeated by St Mary's 6-1-37. The Southern District's Crocs with the buy. Now, an interesting situation coming up for round 15. There will be no play this weekend, but on Tuesday, the Australia Day public holiday, that's the 26th of January, 12pm, there'll be a standalone game at Gardens Oval between Wanderers and Waratah with the remainder of the round played on Saturday the 30th of January. So a week and a half from now, Palmerston versus Darwin Barfetts, Pint versus Tracy Village, and a good game between St Mary's and the Southern District's Crocs. Nightcliffe will have the buy, essentially over two weeks. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast for yet another week. This program debuts every Wednesday, 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. Or you can download the podcast later on by going to SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, the iHeartRadio website and app, or WARFradio.com and click on podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Just put a slash at the end and WARF Radio. I'm Peter Holden. Until next week, it's bye for now.